Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you enjoy listening. I guess to kick off, firstly, thank you for joining, Gene. Really excited to have you as a guest. And um, just probably like to say from kind of my perspective, like really grateful for your time as well. So uh, appreciate that. Now, you probably don't need much introduction, but uh, for those that, that don't know you who are listening at the moment, um, I know that you're kind of um, known as the godmother of customer experience, but uh, would you like to maybe just give a brief introduction into like who you are and what you do? Sure. I have. Yes. Somebody called me the, the grandmother of customer experience the other day. I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> go back to godmother. <laughs> I've been doing this work since 1983, where I had the great joy of working with a company called Land's End, which was really the Zappos of the day. I got there when we were 100 million in sales and left nine and a half years later when we had become a billion dollar company and gone public, much of it around how we honored our customers and our employees and how we grew really organically through improving their lives, through connecting in a human way, through creating a bond and through uniting the organization to deliver this completely coordinated and connected purpose around how we're there. And it really is a right brain, left brain kind of role where you're bringing the whole organization together. And after that, I went to uh, four other companies Coldwell Banker, Mazda, Allstate, and Microsoft, and essentially held the first version of a chief customer officer job. So did that for about 25 years, published my first book in 2006. You guys probably weren't even born then. Um, (laughs) We're close to it, right? Um, And uh, I've published four books since, and I'm the co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. And um, I give speeches around the world and coach leaders on how to really unite, really come together to unite. So that's it in a nutshell, 35 years of doing only this work. Fantastic. Very exciting. Um, I guess well, I guess my first question from that, obviously, with, with that experience, how have things changed over that time with regards to customer experience and how it's even perceived in, in businesses now? Well, they've changed and they've not changed. You know, what hasn't changed is that there's a human being at the end of your decision that wants to be understood, taken care of, and delivered value to. Um, But what has changed is the lingo, the process, the popularity of um, the work. Back when I was doing it a million years ago at Land's End, it was really, we did this because it was, our, from our point of view, the right thing to do. Now, then we had quality and TQM and CRM and now experience has exploded Mm -hmm. um, as a discipline but what's important is to not focus on the mechanics of the work like journey mapping and voice customer and all these things but the meaning of it which is at the end of the day do you really understand your customers goals and are you delivering value so in their own words they can say because these people are in my life I sell more, I do more, I deliver more, whatever it is that's important to them, that you earn the right to growth by delivering value and improving their life. And at the end of it, that's what the work is. You know, and we we can't lose sight of the fact that we're here to improve lives and to have those lives we're improving be able to say in their own words, not on a survey score, in their own words, you need to go work with them because if you don't, you'll be missing out. It's interesting, actually, and uh, especially the, the word value, because I guess some that's something that is becoming probably more more of a slight buzzword now, I guess, in, in a oh, lot of companies. Oh, no, here we go. Um, but <laughs> definitely, definitely something like it's so difficult to prove, because right. um, as, as we was kind of just speaking before we started recording, like Alex and I traditionally working more of like a SaaS model, uh-huh. the biggest part of our roles is to show value to the client throughout the year. So when the contract comes to, to renew, right. they've seen the value. And well, um, yeah. And what's interesting about that, if I could jump in, is the word value only connects when you work with them and do the hard work to understand what their goals are. So for example, a lot of people have been doing journey mapping or whatever 
um, to understand the stages of a journey. Well, the customer doesn't go through stages that way. They have goals that they want to achieve. So if you can understand what's their goal, is it to sell more or to build more members or to have people stay on their game console longer or to do whatever it is, if you are clear about that, then value will happen when you help them achieve that. Mm -hmm. But we don't take the time to understand their goals, to build our deliverables around those goals being achieved so that the customer can say, hey, we and then to, to connect every six months, three months, whatever, to see where they are on the achievement on those goals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just rigor around understanding, delivering, enabling goals, and then marketing hope that you were part of the story. And what sort of strategies and techniques do you typically try and give to people in terms of helping to understand those goals? Because I think one of the challenges that a lot of businesses will face is not going deep enough in terms of what that goal means. Maybe That's they'll right. understand like a very sort of top level business goal as opposed to going into like the personal goals and stuff like that of the, the person that they have the relationship with. That's right. Because what we're doing often, like if you think about a SaaS model, I know you have a lot of folks there, we're selling instead of understanding, right? We're selling our features versus understanding the customer's business and helping them diagnose what they need now for this time. Um, and what's interesting is that goes all the way back to if you're a customer success manager, let's say, and you have a small team or you're part of a bigger team, is are we hiring for the right skill sets? Are we bringing in people who know how to have that diagnostic conversation? And from the standpoint of our people, are we giving them enough time to have those conversations? You know, if we're sending you out on milk runs or so many customer contacts that all you're really doing is speed kill contacts, right? Or whatever, you're ticking boxes. We're, we're saying we got stuff done, but we're not necessarily understanding so that we can build and market and connect back. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. And I guess it goes probably into like engagement as well. And, and activities that are being measured. So probably making sure that you're doing the right activity to get the right well, that's, and kind That's of a- right. Yeah, you know, because we, we seem to, what we, around the world, you know, CEOs and leaders are getting a false positive because we're reporting on, on activity or action, mm. not outcome-driven action, right? So... We're saying, oh, my, you know, we are very customer focused because our people contact our customers six times a month. On what? For what? <laughs> to, to what outcome, right? Versus um, can you articulate your customer's goals? Have you now turned it into, um, when I was at uh, Coldwell Banker, for example, and other kind of B2B organizational models like you've got with SaaS clients, mm-hmm. we actually turned it into what we called contracting, which is we're going to start with your goal, but then we're going to build a contract between us of stuff we have to do to help you achieve that goal, but stuff you have to also do so that we mutually can help you achieve that goal. If we're only doing our side of it, but you're not doing your side of it, then that goal achievement can't be achieved. And it, that's a different way of thinking of selling and of servicing, right? 100%. And I guess um, we forgot, because I'm I sort of looking, looking you up as well and looking at a lot of your content, so around like mm-hmm. alignment. And um, is that something that is, I suppose, also important to get right within the business itself? So making sure that, we are kind of all working together within those different departments. And um, think about customer success. When right. the client buys into a solution, generally the, the almost the first stage of that is with the new business team. So they clearly understand their goal. They've managed to sell that solution. And then having that then pass over to maybe a client services team, a customer success team. That's right. You almost need that alignment to... Yep. And, and for me, the whole customer focused or customer driven growth starts even before that, which is what are you even building the right solution? Hmm. Right. Are you that wired into customers lives that 
you're building a solution that really is important to them or is it a we you know if we build it they will come you know i'm i'm married to a software engineer so i can say this stuff um you know we get excited about features and benefits but we need to be able to break it into achievable parts and um we need to make sure that we're the word agile drives me crazy because that's becoming a buzzword too but that we're quick to turn um, and understand and modify as necessary. You know, a lot of times, and this is where we go to validating instead of understanding, we build a thing, software, a drinking, children's drinking cup, whatever it is, right? Because mm. we've gotten some feedback or some notion of what we want to build. And then instead of starting with the customer's life and watching them and trying to discern from that what they need, we start in our own work group and build something. And then we put the cup in front of them and say, do you want a cup? And, and they might say, I'll take the red cup, but maybe they didn't want a cup at all. They needed a sippy straw kind of a contraption. So now your people are trying to build success on even the wrong thing that the customer didn't really need. So achieving goals starts to be thwarted from the beginning. Does that make sense? Mm, so yeah. it's this whole kind of virtuous cycle that has to all be clicked in as well. Would you say another big part of that is actually understanding who your customer is? So making sure that if you have a product and you are having conversations with client that it is actually the right fit for that particular client. Because I think what can happen sometimes is you can get that feedback from, let's say, the existing customer where it may not be the, the right solution. And, and I, like, I sort of like the analogy that you gave there, but let's say, for example, that you sell cars mm -hmm. and you're talking to somebody that's interested in a motorbike and they're saying that actually that this product isn't quite right for me. It's got four wheels instead of two. And then you take that feedback internally and you build a new product. And before you know it, you're selling motorbikes rather than cars. And now we've built the three hump camel, right? From yeah. <laughs> four, four pieces of information. That's right. And, and that's also you know, what happens to us even on our survey feedback, right? Where, and again, I don't get me started, but again, we're, when we build surveys, we, we write the questions that are based on assumptions of what we think is important, right? How did we do on your greeting? Did we visit you three times a month? Uh, was it easy to download? Well, they may say yes, yes, yes to all those things, but all of those things may not be the most important things. Mm -hmm. So from a customer success standpoint, what I would say also where you really deliver and can deliver great, great value to the organization is by being the voice of the voice. Capture that listening and um, also feel free to facilitate what I call fearless listening sessions where there's no mirror, the old fashioned thing of the, the, you know, there's your executives behind a mirror and a facilitator with 12 hungry people in a room. Those days are over. Instead, bring 12 customers together, um, seat three or four executives among them, and um, brainstorm with your customers what are the goals you want us to help you achieve now how are we doing in helping you achieve those goals boy will you get a dose of reality mm -hmm. right really interesting and, and yeah. that's bravery to me that's bravery the other thing that's powerful is you talked about alignment when you're all in a room together and now the customer is talking and, and you're able to all together hear. Now you're like, whoa, why haven't we ever done that? But you guys as, as customer success managers may have said, we've been telling you this for 20 <laughs> years and, and, and it's on every report. But the eyeball to eyeball, the humanity of just listening to someone say it and you hear the pain, that changes everything. So think about yourselves as a conduit for understanding yeah i think the point about listening is really key as well because then the other side of that is like fundamentally humans just want to be listened to as well and, and that is good, right? yeah exactly yes yeah. yes 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is interesting. We were, before we got started for everybody out there, we were talking about, you know, and I don't want to age this, but right now with COVID going on, um, you guys, especially everybody out there in the world of customer success, your listening muscle can really provide a deep, deep service for the organization because people's goals have changed, right? Companies are now into surviving, right? If you're a restaurant or, you know, you're a SaaS company of some sort that serves restaurants, you know, whatever it is or hotels or whatever, how are you going to be part of helping them survive? And so how are you going to really listen in on what they need now and be laser focused on now bringing your organization together to be part of that story of, look, hey, this bad stuff happened, but if they weren't with us, we don't know if we would have survived. We're building legacies right now in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. And would you say that, um, so outcomes is something that is, I guess, achievable by all types of business if they've understood the the goals and they have the right solution to provide. Right, so would you but say we're chasing the wrong goals sometimes? Yeah. So so would you say that the experience is the major differentiator for for most or all companies, the way that they actually deliver the outcome and the experience and the touch points along the way? Yeah, I mean I think it's a couple things. You know, first and foremost, did you help me to achieve something I needed to achieve? Right? If if you sell me a bicycle that's broken even though you were really great on the phone about the broken bicycle and you sent me a three bicycles and you were great about it, but every new bicycle you sent me was broken. I'm going to be like, well, they're really nice people. And this was great experience, but I got three broken bicycles. So you might get kudos around being nice guys, but not so much around, you know, helping me learn to ride a bike. So I think it's got to be two things. Um, especially in a, in a world like SaaS where we've got a lot of really smart people building a lot of really great products. Um, you know, you've got to have, especially in your world, a functioning product that doesn't fail. So, you know, the reliability factor has to be critical, but you need to be functioning to what the customer needs the most versus 20 bells and whistles that they don't need. And then what, pumps you up after that is did you achieve my goal it's how did you wrap an experience around that that was important to me but are you also measuring the right things right so um let me tell you an example it's not a SaaS business but it's easy to understand mm -hmm. we were working with a company um that make airplanes for high wealth individuals okay now what we typically will do is we'll build metrics that are silo by silo because that's easy for us to put a rope around and to manage because what are we all going for we're all going for the green dot we don't want a red dot we don't want a yellow dot we want a green dot right can you relate like these scorecards with the red yellow and green dots mm -hmm. okay so we're working on this and we're building the journey and, and they're like let's build the sales and service journey experience. I said, in your whole life as a customer, have you ever wanted to have a sales and service, a service and parts experience? Do you ever call it that? Do you ever call anything a service and parts experience or a customer success experience? Do you call mm -hmm. it that? No. For these people, they wanted to have a keep me flying experience. That means make sure, yes, there's parts, but also that you have pilots, that you have communication, that you have a concierge, that if I have to land this plane, that you put me in a beautiful hotel and you communicate with me. But we, if you're thinking about it from a silo-based standpoint, it's going to be how, how many parts have we sold and do we have parts in stock versus how many days is my plane not flying? And so we're at odds of measuring what's important to us versus what's important to the customer. So a big part of this understanding is then translating inside your organization the things you need to get a green dot on that are going to connect back to your customer's goals. And that's where even though we feel we're being very customer focused where we're giving and we're giving ourselves green dots we're going haywire because at the end we're not letting the customer achieve the goal. We're measuring the wrong stuff. And listening and understanding has to get us to that as well. 
<clears throat> I really like that. And I think sometimes probably the, the, the biggest reason why maybe companies don't do that is because it's so difficult to measure because you can measure <laughs> it in the long term with maybe client retention or repeat customers. But it's very difficult sometimes to actually put something down on paper which shows the customer value because sometimes happy customers may not necessarily tell you you're ha they're, they're happy or no. fill out surveys, for example. But what I'm talking about is not about happy customers. Mm -hmm. It's how many days was my plane not flying? Mm -hmm. So how many days was my software functional? How many days did people have outages? Um, how many of my people weren't able to log in? Or how many people were able to finish their tasks? Start measuring the stuff your customer is measuring that is going to put you at risk also of them saying, oh man, I don't know if we're going to renew this thing. All right, I see what you mean. Yeah, um, I think that's uh, definitely a trap that comes up in <coughs> quite a lot. I think um, like with a, a SaaS or, or software-based platform, a lot of times the sort of default measurement is based on things like usage. Um, but right. to your point, that's not necessarily what the customer will be tracking themselves. That's um, right. As you mentioned, it's likely to be those outcomes. So whatever the that's platform right. is and what it does, um, but with that in mind, what, what would you typically recommend for someone that is wanting to communicate that to their leadership team and to get them to understand that that's what they should be measuring is, does it just go back to what you t said in terms of, um, just putting them in a room with clients and getting them to understand their perspective? Well, you know, I mean, the likelihood of your being able to do that on a regular basis is probably not great, but you can get them, um, record your calls with your customers. You can you know, surveys isn't going to be enough to find out what those metrics are. Because again, if you ask the wrong questions, you're going to be measuring the wrong stuff. So mm -hmm. it takes going back to the beginning. And um, that's why, you know, when I work with chief customer officers or leaders who are focusing on this, you almost need to go back at the beginning and say, okay, what, what do customers really need? Um, what should we be measuring? Um, and uh, you know, the, the, the other thing you might do as a customer success manager, right, you may or may not have the power to hold these sessions on your own, but if you can get the ear of a leader of the organization, maybe three or four of you gang up on somebody in a good way. And mm -hmm. now you've got a leader of the organization can say, you can say, look, we're, did you know we're measuring the wrong stuff or we're getting a false positive? Um, and, and you can, what gets people's attention is, um, like you said, you're looking at engagement. You need to show downshifts in engagement. And then you can say, well, we started digging and these downshifts occur because this stuff isn't happening. Yeah, makes sense. Perfect. Yeah. And I guess um, kind of with regards to understanding those important criteria for your customers, like you said, perhaps maybe how many days was the platform down over the course of their contract? Is that something you would recommend just sitting down with a client to understand what's what's most important to them or is it just trying to put yourself in their shoes by understanding their day-to-day -day role no you need to ask, you need to talk to them and ask them yeah. i mean when you know when you assume you know stuff happens i won't say the bad joke but um <laughs> it, you, you just you you're you're not you know and you've got to can't just listen to one customer. You know what that is? It's a mother-in-law survey, right? You you ask your, you ask your mother-in-law an opinion or your friend's mom an opinion or whatever, and now that becomes what you do. Um, you got to get enough people together. But stuff, SaaS stuff is usually it, besides goals, it's around reliability and stability, right? Um, and in fact, when I was at Microsoft, one of the very first things that we did was we had to get this was a long time ago, so bear with me. Um, we had to get the ear of the the eyes and the ears and the heart, the pain of the developers um, by understanding that there were bugs that people were encountering on an everyday basis. And you guys may or may not remember this, but there used to be a box that popped up and it said, we see you're encountering a problem. Would you like to tell Microsoft about that? Do you guys remember this at all? Probably not. Yeah, no, I think I, think yeah. I do. I don't know if it still exists today, actually. I know when there's... Some of it may. That was inside the company called the Dr. Watson box because it's like Dr. Watson. So it became a beeline of data that then collected for them to see and track and trend and understand um, what was happening. And so that's the other thing is you need to get that beeline of information to the people building the stuff as well 
um, or maintaining it or whatever. And so it, you know, it, some of this may be kind of above, not above, beyond your personal role or accountability, but then bring others in. You, you can get the ear of your CFO by saying, did you know we're losing these many customers or there's a direct correlation between this stability and um, customers not renewing or mm -hmm. downshifting from three products to two products. You need to do the math and the um, connect the dots for them between bad stuff happening in how you're running and customer outcomes in terms of what they care about, which is renewals or upgrading or share of wallet. It's interesting, actually, because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, sort of on the wrong lines here, but I guess my thinking previously has been quite focused on, on like my role. So getting people to use the platform, um, getting people to tell me what they want to achieve with, with the software itself, um, understanding those outcomes and whether they whether they achieved it or not. But mm -hmm. I guess what I'm hearing here is also taking that one step further to understand, well, actually, if somebody has an hour for a deadline and they need to go into our product and pull some data together, understanding that if it takes them twice as long because there's a bug in the platform, how many times is that happening over their experience? Now you've got the little gnat of your product that is mm. in the back of their head and everything like, oh my God, I'm going to hit that thing or whatever. And now this underlying thing is seething. And what's that doing? That's eroding value. I'm eroding value. I'm er Here I come. I'm eroding value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think Sorry, that's... I've been recording all day long. I'm a little what? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that kind of goes back to the the point around empathy, which is, has yeah. often come up in our podcasts before. But empathy um, is operating in a way that helps people, makes it easier. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, we would definitely be guilty in the world of customer success of perhaps delivering like the perfect mm. platform demonstration, and oh. the the customer probably sees that and thinks, "Yeah, this seems easy. I'll be able to go away and and do that." But then the reality, as you're saying, is they probably find the bugs and you know, the little um, issues that they come across on a regular basis. And unless you're aware of that, then yeah, you're, ne you're never fully understanding right. how the platform, uh, how the customer is using the, the platform That's day right. to day. The other, the other thing I would say that we found inside of SaaS businesses, which you may or may not be thinking about is whoever's buying from you inside their company is going to bat for you, right? Mm -hmm. They're vouching for you. They may be putting their own um, little budget or big budget on the line and saying and convincing others that you're the right solution. How easy are you making it for them to be a hero? Right? Yeah. So how easy do you make it for them to package, pitch, sell, prove? And then once you're operational, are they looking like a dummy? Or are you make are you ensuring that not a dummy, you know what I'm saying. Are you ensuring that the credits that they used inside their business to sell you don't go away because of your function or operation? Because if they were your champion and now you're putting them in a pickle in terms of what happens in real world when once a thing goes live or operational, guess what's going to happen when they think about renewing or adding on more? Or, because now their credibility has been hurt a little bit. Yeah, so true. And I guess you're kind of aligning your reputation with the products or the service that you bring in with you. Yeah. Um, in a major way, right? Mm. And, and you know, you think about you're an up-and-coming uh, tech manager of some sort in a big company, and we're bringing you guys in, and you've done the research, and you've convinced your CEO or your VP of marketing or whoever it is. Um, to to use this tool and now the first weekend it's got bugs or you know you said you were going to onboard 200 people and you could only onboard 20 you know whatever it is how long does it take to onboard right there that those are those metrics too that their credibility is hitched to your wagon are you letting them be a, a hero so those hero metrics become important are you tracking those yeah, and I guess that goes back to what you said right at the start in terms of that's why the goals are so important. What are the goals that are going to make that person actually a hero internally? Um, yeah. And I guess maybe even one step beyond that is 
not necessarily the goals, but what is the chat? What's the underlying challenge that's driving that? Why did well, they that's right. bring in that's this right. this software or this solution, whatever it is that they're, they're actually buying into? Right. So can they? Are they achieving it? And then what are kind of the operational requirements that you need to make sure um, you're 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 driving against? There was um, another off the wall example. There's a, um, a spine clinic in um, Seattle where I live, and they were measuring traditional medical metrics that you'd think were important. Wait time, you know, all of these things. Well, when you have a spine or backache, what you care about is how many doctors you have to see before you finally get to see the spine doctor. Mm -hmm. Well, the way that they were organized was you had to see an intake person, then you had to see maybe a therapist, then you might see a doctor, and so now you're missing days of work, right? Each time you're doing this. And you're having to navigate their silos. So one of the key metrics they, they measure now is how many days of work we make people miss because of our lack of coordination inside our business. So that goes back to how many days are you down or how mm -hmm. much have you prevented? And the other thing they care about is um, the overuse of MRIs in the medical business. So how many unnecessary MRIs have we eliminated? So now me as a customer, I can ring the bell on those two things, right? Mm -hmm. And all day long, you can talk about how great you are and how coordinated you are and you know how much you care about me. But when you care about me, you're going to do two things. You're going to get me to see a doctor faster. You're going to get my pain subsided quicker with less rigmarole, and you're gonna make me not go through unnecessary things. So you're building the equivalent of that for the people inside business. Yeah, makes perfect so sense. No back, don't give them backaches. Yeah, <laughs> so true. And I guess, I mean, with that, so, and, and we did touch on COVID slightly, but I do think this is yep. probably, it's, it's topical at the moment, so it's definitely totally. worth discussing. And um, I've, I've seen a lot of articles about custom success managers kind of losing their job, their roles at the moment. And um, there's, there is that kind of common conversation sometimes like in, in a downturn, like it can be one of the first teams to go because it isn't, um, or it may not be perceived as a necessity. So right. it's almost like a nice to have in terms of a team. Now, what we've been talking around here is obviously like client retention effectively and yeah. having a good customer experience is critical in order to drive that. But a lot of organizations may not necessarily always see that. They may see new beers as being the priority because you're kind of getting new customers in. You can see the revenue and it takes a long time to see the, the ROI on great customer experience in some instances. Ooh. So I guess with anybody out there who may be in an organization um, or who maybe even just recently lost their role, or if there's people out there who are looking at cut, make cutting costs, like what would be your message to those people at, at present around customer experience and how vital it is to, sure. to the company? Well, again, the reason we do this work is to grow the business. So mm -hmm. you, you need to be a part of the story of either identifying and uh, of helping the company pivot by being focused on the things your customers care about now. Um, people will stop buying from you in the short term or during a moment like this because you don't know what's important to them now. Um, and so you, you need to be part of that storytelling. Um, you need to link arms with your CFO and connect the money, do the, do the money storytelling. If you're, you know, the fact of the matter is that there are going to be some people who lose their jobs because companies, the first, the first role, you know, if you were hearing our conversation mm -hmm. with Horace Schultze recently, the first job of a leader is to make sure the company continues to be, to stay afloat. But you can, you can work harder now by telling the story of how the um, the goal of customers has shifted and are we focusing on the right things? And here's what's interesting is companies are creating skunk groups with smart, smart people who are pivoting from their current roles to doing other things that are needed now. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're one of those voices so that even if your specific role shifts, your voice is considered important, strong, smart, and somebody they want at the table when you're pivoting to figuring out what to do next. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, definitely. I think it shows the importance of understanding how those goals are shifting because I guess if you just continue to like do what you've always done and if it has, you know, maybe been 50% effective, it's going to be, or it could be cut essentially. So I guess it's... Yeah, and be a part of the story. You know, look, these are our top... Did you know this? this, These 20% of customers contribute 80% of the revenue. What I've done is gone through and I've identified their main issues right now. We need to attach this or we're going to lose them. I would start packaging up my book of business that way with my leaders and um, show them what's going on from that standpoint. You, you've, you've also got to kind of divide and conquer and understand that at this point, we want to serve all customers, but we also want to make sure um, that we're taking care of these really profitable customers who are the bread and butter of our business growth and our revenue, especially right now. And that language isn't always the first language you necessarily hear from customer success. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the the focuses should be for sure around proving that customer success is almost, I guess, the part of the business that has its finger on the pulse or or of the client's pulse um, in terms of, especially in in times like these where I guess ultimately you want to um, put yourself or the, the company in a position that is, uh, one of the dependents. So if it comes to something where they have to cut um, costs and they are considering not renewing your um, your platform or your software, you want to be in the bracket that is a dependent. We need this. We can't operate without it. And if you're not, then that's where the risk comes from, especially. Well, or be one of those people in the organization that's a bright young mind coming up with new ideas and thinking of things. And because we're in a situation right now where the smart voices are going to ring out right now. So realize also don't be constrained by your role. Be brave. And if you see something, find a way to talk about it. Mm, I think that will, that will probably resonate with a lot of not necessarily just customer success managers, but a lot of people within their role because you move into a role and it's set in a particular way. So you yeah, do- and now you're in the box, right? And you're That's in that the box. Co- yes. The coolest thing we're seeing right now is role smashing. Mm. It's all for one and all one for all. Be part, get, a, get yourself a seat at the cool table of brainstorming. Yeah. And I guess, do you, can you see the, not necessarily, the winners would be the wrong way to kind of position this, but the the ones that are probably going to, survive almost in their roles in a really tough climate which we've probably not seen for like 10 to 12 years yeah we've been in a glorious time for the past little bit yeah yeah and uh, i mean are those ones gonna be those who like as you say maybe come up with the new ideas that are creative that think outside the box well and let's say look i have just gotten off the phone or zoom call you know whatever your platform is Mm. um i have i've spent the last week talking to each of my top clients and here's what's going on we're spending 90 percent of our time on this thing but i would suggest we pivot right now's the time write two paragraphs point of view things be brave like if you've got an idea for me, like as a leader, I would love to hear from strong young people in the field who have their finger on the pulse, who can articulate it in a, in a um, growth-driven way, in a real-life way that's about, look, here's what's happening. Here's where we're at risk. Here's the precariousness of it. Yeah, I think that's something we've actually probably touched on a lot in this podcast. It's almost the, the kind of financial intelligence, so to put that, finance hat on and be able to not necessarily position things in a way where we think it it would add value but like you say perhaps think about how that would result in a positive ROI and and how you feed well, that back yeah. and just at the very least you know go through your customers do that segmentation that says look I've got 20 customers I'm looking after these top 5 represent 80% of that when I talked, I spent, I'm going to spend two hours talking to each of these. And now I'm going to write up what I heard. You know, what, it can be that simple. Mm. Because if everybody did something that specified, now you've got intelligence that's going to really help the organization.
tech blended with high touch to be relevant and correct for the customer. I mean, there was a moment where, you know, we had a digital uh, mobile experience being built separate from a, the real in-person experience, from the call center person, from the tech experience, when in fact it's really, um, if let's say the experience is onboarding, Mm-hmm. There's a digital component, there's a human component, there's a data component, there's an engineer component. The key is knitting it all together so it helps to achieve the goal in the right prescriptions of each versus each one being separate. When we get too focused on each one being separate, we drive our customer nuts because we're not now any longer, we're not focusing on their goals, we're building stovepipes. And our silos are kind of interesting and cool on their own, but I'm not going to have a digital experience. I have a, you know, my equivalent of keep people flying. I have a, I need to onboard successfully mm-hmm. 92% of my company. Part of it includes digital, but the rest of it's all of this. So that really goes back to how much are you connecting your organization? Yeah, so it's just another form of delivery. It shouldn't be a completely separate thing. Exactly. And, and yeah. again, we get really excited about it, um, but when we separate, we drive our customer nuts. Yeah, makes sense. Quite like that. I'm just, I just, I don't know why I was just sitting here thinking of like a retail experience. Almost like say you walk into a shop, and yep. then somebody taps you on the shoulder and says like, "Oh, can I help with anything?" By the way, we've got ten percent off. And then immediately you get a text message saying, "We know you're in the shop. Here's a ten percent off text message." Like ten percent off. Um, I mean, that's pretty nice. Or when you go to the register, they say, or when you go to the register, they say, welcome back. We see your best customer. Let's whatever, you know, in whatever way. Yeah. With watches and all this other stuff. Yeah. You got to watch out for the big brother. Ooh. (laughs) Um, but you can give people preferences on that as well, you know? And, and again, it's, it's just as much messaging as also enabling. Right. If your goal is to down is to onboard um, people as quickly as possible with the least number of bloops as possible, then digital is going to be a part of that. But that also means that your customer success reps, your tech support, they all have to be connected. So you're all part of a chain. One holding up the chain means you're not going to meet your number. Hmm. Because people, as much as people like do it yourself, there is an inevitable moment where they're going to go offline and want personal help. And if all that stuff isn't connected, then that you're just going to be broken by the weakest link of it. Yeah, I suppose it's yeah. the human is the weakest link. I'm just saying it all has to connect. Yeah, yeah I, and think... I was, was going to say. Oh, sorry, go on then. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you guys know as a customer success person how embarrassing it is if all the information's not in the contact center software or whatever, where you, you know, you're learning stuff from the customer that you should know before you contacted the customer or whatever. Yeah. I was, I was going to say that must be the most frustrating thing from a, an end user's perspective or an end customer in terms of like having to repeat yourself multiple times in terms of like, yeah, why you've actually bought the software or, or yeah. the platform. In, I have this book that just came out called, would you do that to your mother? And, um, mm-hmm. It, it one of the questions I asked, I had a cartoonist write cartoons. It's like, would you make your mother keep reintroducing herself to you? Well, no, but we make our customers explain what they bought, what they didn't buy, how long they downloaded it, what their pat, you know, over and over and over again. And it's, it's, it's a lack of respect, right? Yeah. We say to them, we don't respect your time. We respect our time more. We don't respect how, you know, that we're making it hard. You know, it's just this, and respect that's connected to value, right? It's a different kind of value erosion, but nonetheless, in a world of product parity, that's the stuff that will put you under that layer of buy or no buy as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other sections that we regularly ask people about um, on the podcast as well is around um, advice. Um, so typically we would rate, relate it to um, a customer success uh, manager but I guess um, something more relevant to ask yourself would be around um, leadership so uh, we've kind of spoken about it already and I just wanted to, to see if you had any other sort of um, context to add but um, how would you 
recommend someone would approach trying to get into a leadership position? So one of the roles that you mentioned, for example, is a chief customer officer. Mm-hmm. Um, how would someone approach trying to get into that type of role? Sure. Well, the the best way to work your way um, to that kind of a role is to actually run an operation. A lot of people want to leapfrog into it, but what I'm saying look is, look, if you're running product development and you've been known as a collaborative leader that unites the silos and builds product customer-driven products that achieves their goals by taking the time to listen to customers, ask them understand and you're really good with being inclusive and communicating across the organization you're the chief customer officer of your group and you're proving to the organization that that's who you are some of the best um, people i've coached into their role i mean there was a, a chief technology officer that became a chief customer officer in a huge SaaS company um the the president of North America for sales became a chief customer officer globally for an organization, but all of it had to do with, they ran a successful operation. You have to prove you can run a business. Mm-hmm. You have to be a collaborative and a leader who checks their ego at the door and is about inclusiveness. And, um, and then you have to really be about right brain, left brain, Telling in exciting people, but then making it analytical enough that it's repeatable, drives growth, and is a business driver. Um, and so just run a even if it's a small small part of the organization, keep earning the right to running other parts of the organization. And um, you know, for me, that's a really great path. Perfect. Yeah. And Excellent. you can do that from a customer success role. You can work your way into it. And now is a great opportunity to be a thought leader, no matter where you reside in the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's the it goes down to the innovation that you were mentioning about the the, the smart people who will come up with newer, better ways of, right. of doing things. Because people's ears are open. We're seeing right now CEOs are taking meetings with everybody, which is so fascinating and wonder, wonderful, right? The mm. veneer is coming off. We're seeing them in their living room with their sweaters on and there's there's a humanness and an openness now so if i you know was up and coming and had some really great burning ideas you have to have the goods to back them up but you know i think about packaging that up right now figure out how to get the ear yeah it's like you said earlier just be brave isn't it i guess just right be brave and be brave and be that gutsy person you know dare to believe it can be you like it, nice. I I like as well. yeah. And then the good thing with that as well, you, you, I suppose at the end of it, even if it isn't or if it does fall flat on its feet with the particular idea that you try to implement, you, you gain experience from that. And then that's right, that's right. You know, it's this a dorky story, but um, again, I'm aging myself. But um, when when they um, for when the man first walked on the moon, a million gazillion, I don't know, 20 years before you guys were born. Um, we were, I was in, we, I lived, I grew up in Chicago. We were washing our station wagon. We had one of those station wagons with the wood on the side. They call them the wood, woody station wagons. And I remember I was on the top of the station wagon. I was talking to my mom and we were talking about the man on the moon. And she goes, you can be an astronaut if you want, Jean. Now, I mean, it was a long time till a woman was an astronaut, but she put in my head, well, why not me? Right. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes and, and 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 so I was. I've been really fearless, like stupidly so sometimes. But why not? I think fearlessness right now is so critical and so wonderful. Take a chance. Take a chance on your idea, on your brain, and your ability to really get out there and um, let people know. Because as customer success managers, you have so much in your head that you've heard and you see and you know, and you may have not felt like there's. A, people are listening. They will listen now if you're really good at figuring out how to get your message out. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the key things for me is, um, and it, it, com- it comes up on other episodes as well, but around the idea of just taking that and just testing it, yeah. it's better to test and fail than to just sit on the idea and, and not do anything at all. Yeah. And, and there's probably a senior leader somewhere in your organization who will take you under your wing, their wing mm-hmm. and just find that person. There you go. Hope. A little hope. (laughs) 
Fantastic. Well, I think that's probably a great way to, to kind of end the, the podcast with that great. that message there. So um, thank you so much for your time. You're I could welcome. carry on going with, uh, with some of the questions, just uh, take as much from your experience as possible. But hopefully we can maybe even do this again in the future. Sure. Um, yeah, I'd love to. And you guys are great interviewers. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I guess just but just to end, obviously you've got a lot of content out there. You've got four great books. Where can um, people go to find those? And are there any particular ones that you would recommend as well for maybe a customer sure. success professional? Absolutely. So my website is easy. Uh, customer Bliss, that is my last name. People ask if it's a fake name. <laughs> no. Customer Bliss, B-L-I-S-S dot com. Everything's there. It's, you can see books, etc. cetera. And um, I, I'd say for customer success manager, there's two books that really will be helpful for you. One is the book with the cuckoo title, Would You Do That to Your Mother? It's um, very specific. It's 32 um, action plans for how to drive greater uh, customer intimacy and customer growth. And then if you're super, super into it, the Chief Customer Officer 2.0 book is a whole methodology on how to drive change in your organization. It's a little deeper, more more in-depth on um, the, the method and the tactics. But I think both of those are a great duo. Um, I have a podcast show that you can watch. Um, we've done over 200 of them. And I'm doing LinkedIn Live podcasts now with uh, great people like Horst Schulte, the the co-founder of uh, the Ritz-Carlton. We're going to bring um, Tom Peters on. We're going to bring lots of other um, cool, smart people oh, on to talk about what's happening right now too. So that's it. And I have, um, yeah, I've caught a few of those as well. So 100% recommend it for anyone listening. Yeah. So thank you guys so much, and uh, keep on doing the good work. And I wish everybody well, and hope you're all safe, and just push it, push it. Now is the time to really push it out there. So love it. Thank you so Amazing. much. Yeah, You're thank welcome. you so much, Gene. Okay.